Amen. Thank you, Brother Luigi. Isn't the singing been great today? Uh, choir's been just a great blessing and the special music this morning and tonight. Very thankful for that. Would you take your Bible tonight and go to John chapter number 15? John chapter 15. And I'm very burdened that we see this tonight in light of our theme, in light of what Christianity is all about. John chapter number 15, I want to thank Brother Hammonds for preaching Wednesday night and the blessing he was doing so. And then he gave the men's challenge this morning, great blessing. Again, it really uh, was a great precursor to the morning message that we not forget, not forget our great salvation. And very thankful for that. And, and it was a great morning. And have a new member, Brother Micah Brock, and very thankful for that. And just uh, thankful for God's goodness to us. And, and let's keep praying, praying for each other. Pray for Miss Linda Walden. And she asked again today that our church family would pray, pray for her, and pray that God would give great grace to be able to experience um, this uh, great physical trial and do so with God's help. And then praying for uh, Miss Margaret Shannon, his family, the Adelini family, and an extended family. Uh, as they'll be having the funeral service here tomorrow at 2 o'clock. And very thankful again for church family, thankful for our men. And uh, thankful for Brother William Yon opening in prayer this morning. And uh, I'm, I'm, I love Brother Will and, and never really sure what's going to happen when he gets up. But, but I, he doesn't either. <laughs> but but, it's, but it's, uh, it's always a blessing. I uh, love Will and the, and the fact that um, Will's going to protect the cause of, of Christ and protect the cause of Canaan Baptist and protect the cause of his pastor. And, and I love that. And I love the fact that uh, and, and Will, ask him to do it and say, this is what needs to happen. He's going to get it done. And, um, and that's just a great thrill. I'm thankful God brought Will and Sunshine here. And they've been a, an immense blessing to us. John chapter number 15, very familiar passage. And I hope to, uh, for, for uh, some maybe unlocking something, there is no new truth. But again, do you ever, I told um, Brother Childs today, I, I wish that I would be able to read the Bible and get from my reading what I get from it when I do the studying for the preaching. And how many times I'd read those verses that I preached this morning and didn't see until I started digging in and deeping. And it makes me stop and say, maybe that's what the psalmist was saying when he said, open thou mine eyes, that I may behold wondrous things out of thy law. Well, John 15 is one of those passages, a beautiful passage, a powerful passage. And yet we can just miss the essence and be able to get a hold of it. But I want you to be encouraged tonight. I, I really think this matter of complexity, difficulty, confusion in the Christian life, that was never God's agenda, never. Again, 2 Corinthians, Paul says, I fear lest the serpent as he beguiled Eve would corrupt the simplicity that is in Christ. And just as he tricked Eve, in a very simple environment in which she lived, 
He's still doing the same for us. And um, so I want to look at a very familiar thought, but may God help us and liberate us in some, some of our thinking that we might really experience God in a whole another dimension or in a deeper way. If you read some of the older books, like A.W. Tozer and that time frame, you'll see the phrase deeper life. And sometimes people would be called deeper life people. And, and sometimes um, it's, it's a criticism from others to be called a deeper life guy. And I was asked, are you one of those deeper life preachers? I said, well, if you capitalize the D and capitalize the L, then yes. Because deeper life is not about something, it's about someone. And I want us to see that in John 15, and I was introduced to that someone by way of experiencing God through Dr. Childs in beginning in 1990, and I'm thankful for it. Didn't understand it all then, don't understand it all now. But it is getting clearer as we get closer to the Lord Jesus. Let's stand together and let's read these opening verses of John chapter 15, and then we'll jump in. Jesus says in verse 1, I am the true vine, and my Father is the husbandman. Every branch in me that beareth not fruit, he taketh away. And every branch that beareth fruit, he purgeth it, that it may bring forth more fruit. And lest I don't get back to it, when he says in verse 2, every branch in me that beareth fruit, not fruit, he taketh away. It's not the idea that he takes it away from its roots or take, takes it away from the, the vine, but that he lifts it up. It's the idea that if it's not bearing fruit, it may have gotten bogged down. It may be hanging and it needs to be lifted up. And you've done this perhaps if you've had um, a vine of some kind, you've You've tied it to a stake and you've lifted it up. And, and Jesus says, every branch in me that beareth not fruit, he taketh away or he lifts it up. And every branch that beareth fruit, he purgeth it that it may bring forth more fruit. See, if you're saved, he's not content with you just talking about him, thinking about him, going to church only. Going to church when you want to go to church. If you're bearing fruit, he's got more in store for you. If you're not bearing fruit, he's got more in store for you. And both are a hands-on approach. Verse number three. Now, ye are clean through the word which I have spoken unto you. Abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself, except it abide in the vine, no more can ye, except ye abide in me. I am the vine, ye are the branches. He that abideth in me, and I in him, the same bringeth forth much fruit. For without me ye can do how much? Nothing. Nothing. I want to preach tonight on this very simple thought that said in verse number four, abide in Jesus. Let's see what this entails 
and asking God to help us bring it again to life as he's given it, abiding in Jesus. Thank you. Please be seated. Keep in mind, this is the night before Jesus goes to the cross. This is one night. One night that we find Jesus, his time and his words recorded. John 13, 14, 15, 16, and 17 is one night. The night before Jesus went to the cross, he met with his disciples. At least the apostles and probably some more of his followers. He first met in the upper room and then on a walk to Gethsemane. And he talked with them and he's talking with us about life under this new covenant. Now, these are exquisite words, but they are also important words that are recorded in John 13 through 17. And in chapter 15 here, Jesus boils down for us what he's talking about when he refers to, in John 10 and verse 10, the abundant life. This matter of the abundant life, experiencing God, the victorious life, the revived life, the spirit-filled life, the not I but Christ life, the deeper life, all of this is a gift from God. Because he said in John chapter 10, I have given you, I give you life and life more abundantly. And he is boiling down for us what he's been talking about in this abundant, revived Christian life, which is the real essence of Christianity. And he's doing so in John 15 by giving us this metaphor of the vine and the branches. Now, the key to the life from our perspective as a branch, that's what we are. He says, you're a branch. You're a branch, he's a vine. He's the vine. And this passage, John 15, is the last of the seven declarations that Jesus made of the I am's. And he says, I am the branch. This is the seventh one, the seventh I am statement. And he says, you're a branch. Our perspective, our part is to abide. And we've used as our theme a couple years ago the idea of minnow. That's where abide comes from, Greek word minnow. And minnow is translated not just the word abide each time we read that in these verses, but it's also found in verse 4, verse 5, verse 6, verse 7, verse 9, verse 10, and verse 11. It's translated continue, same word as abide, it's translated remain in the same word, abide. It's the Greek word minnow. In other words, minnow is found 112 times in the New Testament. John uses it 66 out of the 112 times because he's given to us the key to the Christian life and that is to abide. If we're going to be a productive, effective branch, we may, must stay connected to the life-giving vine. Now, the abide in me life, as described here, is a life of verse number five. I am the vine, you're the branches. At the end of it, for without me ye can do nothing. It's a life of continual dependence upon him. 
And that's the description of verse 5. Verse 9 and 10, he's talking about this matter of abide in me. As the Father hath loved me, so have I loved you. Continue ye in my love. If ye keep my commandments, ye shall abide in my love. Even as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. And so in verse 5, abiding is continual dependence. Verse 9 through 10, it's absolute commitment to him. And so this, this is a, an idea he's getting across of being all in with him. And this, again, is the life that he refers to in verse 13 through 16 as friendship with Jesus. All of it is abiding. It is continual dependence, verse number five. It is um, a, a, an absolute commitment, verse nine and 10. Verse 13 through 16, it's friendship with Jesus Christ. And in this and out of this, he promises love, joy, victory, productivity. It describes what the Lord again was saying back in John 10 and verse 10 about the abundant life. I like what Kenneth Wiest says of the word abide or abide in me, he defines it as this. And I, I think this is a great description and may help us with abide in me. It is maintaining a living communion with Jesus. What does it mean to abide? It means to maintain a living communion with Jesus. You see, it's more than just going to church. It's more than just having your devotions. It's more than just being good and moral and having uh, some religion in your life or a lot of religion. It is maintaining a living communion with Jesus. You see, as children of God, our greatest need today is to know the power of the Holy Spirit. I believe that John 15, the picture of the vine and the branch, is a picture of what Paul talks about in Ephesians chapter 5 when he says, be filled with the Spirit. The Spirit of God has been portrayed as oil of life-giving power and sustenance. And so Jesus is giving that same idea through the metaphor of a vine connected, staying connected to as a branch stays connected to the vine. And so here Jesus is talking about the need of maintaining a living communion. And the Bible speaks of it in Paul's writing, and Peter will talk about it in his writings. And that is the matter of being filled with his Holy Spirit. Now I want you to travel with me a little bit and see the importance that God puts upon this matter of maintaining a living communion, experiencing Him, abiding in Him, being filled with the Spirit. Again, our greatest need today is to know the power of the Holy Spirit. Listen, everything that the apostles did in the book of Acts, it was done in the power of the Holy Spirit. They preached the Word in the power of the Holy Spirit. They witnessed in the power of the Holy Spirit. They administered the church in the power of the Holy Spirit. They were led to begin new ministries by the power of the Holy Spirit. They endured opposition and persecution by the power of the Holy Spirit. 
any and all spiritual success that they would have experienced was a direct result of the power and ministry of the Holy Spirit. Your Bible, like mine, may have as the title of the book of Acts, the Acts of the Apostles. But I don't believe that to be the case. It's not the acts of the apostles, it's the acts of the Holy Spirit through the apostles that understood what it meant to be filled with the Spirit, to abide in Christ, to maintain a living communion and relationship with Him. Listen, if we're going to impact our world for Jesus Christ, if our preaching and our teaching and our witnessing is going to make a difference, if we're going to live above the status quo, if we're going to expect any measure of victory, we must have the power of the Holy Spirit on our lives, in our work, in our ministries. If we're going to know His power, we must see the Spirit's power as a priority. Now here's where I would like for us just to think and let this sink in. Go with me if you would, hold your place here and let's go to Luke chapter 3. To emphasize what I believe the Bible is emphasizing that we sometimes miss. For us to see through the example of Jesus as well as the apostles might help us understand at least this is how John 15 has been unlocked for me in recent years. Notice in Luke chapter 3. Now, let me say it's sobering to realize that Jesus did not begin his public ministry until he was filled with the Holy Spirit and power. Look at Luke 3 in verse number 21. We're told that after Jesus had been baptized and was praying, the Bible says that the heaven was opened and the Holy Ghost descended on him, verse 22, in a bodily shape like a dove upon him, and a voice came from heaven which said, Thou art my beloved Son, in thee I am well pleased. Now the very next thing we read about Jesus with nothing intervening but human genealogy, you go to Luke chapter 4. And so Jesus comes out of the water in Luke 3, verse 21 and 22. Verse 22, the Holy Ghost descends in bodily shape like a dove upon him. The very next event is Luke 4 and verse 1. It says, and Jesus, being full of the Holy Ghost, returned from Jordan and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness. Then, from the wilderness temptation... We go to verse 14 of Luke 4. It says, and Jesus returned in the power of the Spirit into Galilee. Now, from the wilderness temptation, we find that he returns in the power of the Spirit into Galilee. And then we go to verse number uh, 18 from the synagogue in Galilee, Jesus went to the synagogue in Nazareth where he preaches his first recorded message and he reads as his text, Isaiah 61 and verse 1, 
and Luke tells us what that text is. He says, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he hath anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He hath sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to preach deliverance to the captives, and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty them that are bruised, to preach the acceptable year of the Lord. And did you catch all this? You say, I'm not catching it. But listen, Jesus did not begin his earthly ministry until he was filled with the Holy Spirit. Setting us an example that we too should follow in his steps and reminding us of the absolute necessity of living life under the control and power of the Holy Spirit. It's also sobering to me to realize that everything that Jesus did in his earthly ministry, all that he did that was good and all that he did was good, all the healings he performed, all the miracles that he performed, all the oppressed that he delivered, he did, the Bible says, in the power of the Holy Spirit. Think about this. Luke 4 and verse 32 says he taught in the power of the Holy Spirit. In Luke 4 and verse 36, he cast out devils in the power of the Holy Spirit. Luke 4 and verse 1, we just saw that he was led by the power of the Holy Spirit. He rejoiced in Luke 10 and verse 21 by the power of the Holy Spirit. And Hebrews 9 and verse 14 tells us that Jesus went to the cross by the power of the Holy Spirit. And then the apostle Peter sums up the life of Jesus in Acts 10 and verse 38 with these words. How God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Ghost and with power who went about doing good and healing all that were oppressed of the devil, for God was with him. Now here's my question. If Jesus Christ, who is God, and yet truly human, just like us, if he did not begin his earthly public ministry until he was on purpose, not accidental, but he was definitely empowered by the Holy Spirit, and if Jesus did all that he did God, being fully God, yet fully man, did all of his earthly ministry in the power of the Holy Spirit. My question is, how much more should we? Let me give you a second example. That was the example of Jesus. How about the example of the disciples? It's also sobering to me to realize that the disciples could not begin their public ministry. Nor could they begin the task of reaching the world until they were filled with the Holy Spirit and empowered for service. Remember the, after they had been with Jesus for three years, the Lord said to the disciples in Acts 1 and verse 4, and being assembled together with them, he commanded them that they should not depart from Jerusalem, but wait for the promise of the Father. Now, why would he say that? Well, keep in mind who these disciples were. These disciples were commanded to wait. Yet, from a human perspective, these disciples had absolutely everything from a human perspective. Well, think about it. According to John chapter 15 and verse 3, they were saved men. 
These were saved men. Jesus was referring to the 11 in John 15 and verse 3, for Judas had already departed from them. And he says, now ye are clean through the word which I have spoken unto you. These disciples were saved men. But you know what Jesus is saying to these disciples when he says in Acts chapter 1, you have to wait. You have to wait for the promise of the Father. You've got to wait because what he's saying is just because you got saved does not mean that it ends when you get saved. Getting saved does not mean it's it. It means it's the beginning. It's the opening. It's the opportunity that you have so that you can abide in the one who has everything you need for every step of the way. Getting saved is the answer for everybody, but getting saved is not where you ought to settle. Getting saved is like getting married and that day is a wonderful day and it changes everything, but it doesn't mean that there's there's nothing more in store. Jesus says to these men, salvation, it will save you from hell and take you to heaven, but you still need something more. You say, I don't believe it. Then you take that up with Jesus. He's the one who said it. He didn't tell them to look back and just sit on your haunches because you got saved. He says, you've got to wait for something else. Not only were these men saved, but they were also experienced men. He's talking to experienced men. For three and a half years, they traveled with the Lord. Do you think they knew the ropes? They knew how to draw a crowd. They knew how to conduct meetings. They knew how to witness. Matthew 9, verse 35 through 38 tells us they, they traveled the evangelistic circuit with Jesus. They were saved men. They were experienced men. Here's something else about these disciples. They were educated men. They spent three and a half years in the Bible school of Jesus Christ. After 40 days between the Lord's resurrection and his ascension, they attended a crash course on things pertaining to the kingdom of God, Acts 1 and verse 3 tells us. So they're educated, they're saved, they're experienced, they're educated men. Let me give you something else about these men. They were spirit indwelt men. In John chapter 20 and verse 22, I want to take up a lot of time here, but I don't want to say enough to, if you have questions, I'd be glad to elaborate on it. In John 20, this was the night of the resurrection. Jesus breathed on them and said, receive ye the Holy Ghost. These men were indwelt by the Holy Spirit. This was not symbolic, nor was it prophetic breathing, but at that very moment, they received the Holy Spirit as a permanent indwelling. When Jesus breathed on them and said, receive ye the Holy Ghost, this was three days after his death, the very night of his resurrection, and 50 days before Pentecost. And on this day, the disciples received the permanent indwelling of the Holy Spirit. Now listen, these disciples alone had the saving message the world needed. The Lord had entrusted the saving message to no one else but these disciples. These men, these disciples, they are saved men. They are experienced men at the master's hand. They were educated in the master's school. They were indwelt by the same Holy Spirit that the Lord Jesus, their master, was dependent upon. Yet they had this desperate message that the world needed in order to hear this good news, they needed to get out and evangelize, but they lacked. These saved, educated, experienced, 
spirit-indwelt men lacked one crucial thing, the power of the Holy Spirit. And so Jesus said to his disciples in Acts 1 and verse 4 through 5, Wait for the promise of the Father, which saith he, ye have heard of me, for John truly baptized you with water, but ye shall be baptized with the Holy Ghost not many days hence. But ye, verse 8, shall receive power. After that the Holy Ghost has come upon you, and ye shall be witnesses of me. Now listen. In order for these disciples to fulfill the task at hand, these saved, educated, experienced, spirit and dwelt men, they still needed the Holy Spirit's power. They needed more than the indwelling of the Spirit's presence. They needed an investment of the Holy Spirit's power. They needed to be filled with the Holy Spirit. They needed to be controlled by the Holy Spirit. Now go back to John chapter 15. In John chapter 15, notice these words from this perspective. Jesus says, I am the true vine. My father is the husbandman. Notice in verse number four. Jesus says, abide in me. And I in you. Verse 5. Jesus says, I am the vine. You are the branches. He that abideth in me and I in him, the same bringeth forth much fruit. For without me, ye can do nothing. Amen. He's talking about abiding. He's talking about the essence of Christianity. He's talking about the revived life, normal Christianity, the abundant life. He's talking about maintaining a living communion with him. Who's talking here? Jesus. The one who did nothing without the power and ministry of the Holy Spirit. The one who is seen being baptized and coming up out of the water, the Holy Ghost descends upon him. The one who is led by the Holy Spirit, filled with the Holy Spirit, led into the wilderness for the tempting of Satan and is victorious over Satan when he says, thus saith the word, it is written, it is written, it is written, but also being empowered by the Holy Spirit who goes from one synagogue to another synagogue, preaches his first message, and he uses the text in Isaiah 61 that he's been anointed by the power of the Holy Spirit. And Peter says everything that he did, he did by the power of the Holy Spirit. He, Jesus, being fully God, yet fully man, he saw the need to live in constant communion with the person of the Holy Spirit is the same one who's saying, listen to me. You've got to stay connected to me as I have stayed connected to the Holy Spirit and he's about to come. I have to go so that he can come. He, another of the exact same kind. And he's talking, Jesus, the one who did everything in dependence upon the power and the ministry of the Holy Spirit, he is saying to the disciples, the disciples who he trained, he taught, who knew the ropes, who knew how to conduct ministry, who have been given the greatest commission and call that this world has known. He's telling them, you can do nothing saved 
educated, experienced, and a little while indwelt by the Holy Spirit men, they still needed something more. They needed what Jesus recognized he needed. A living communion through abiding. And Jesus says, you have to stay connected to me. For without me, you can do nothing. Now, humanly, you can say, because I've said it, that's not true. I can do a lot of things without you. He's not talking about physical. That's where the confusion for me came in for a long time. I knew I could do a lot of things. You can get married without him. You can lead a home without him. You can preach without him. Unfortunately, I think I've done that too many times. You can go soul winning without him. You can go to church without him. You can sing without him. You can teach abiding without him. But when Jesus says you can do nothing without me, he's saying you cannot do anything of life giving, eternity changing. You can't do anything that's going to produce life. You and I cannot produce life. Remember, the letter of the law, it kills. That's why I say often that some people, they strive to be dead right, especially when it comes to music. Ah, oh, we missed that little note there. We got that off a little bit. That's a little bit. That's not right. I don't know. I don't like the way that sounded. And you strive to be dead right, and you end up being both. Right and dead. Why? Because you might have been right and doing everything by the letter of the law, but the Spirit and only the Holy Spirit gives life. And a critical spirit and a griping spirit and a bad attitude, it says, not today, Jesus for I'm going to do what I want to do. The flesh profits nothing. Amen. Or you may have gotten a crowd. Or you may have gained a following. You may have succeeded in winning your cause. But there's no life. There's no life. Jesus said so. Without me, you can do nothing. If Jesus didn't do anything that he did without on purpose connection to the power and person of the Holy Spirit, how much more do we need him? And if he's telling these disciples, you have everything, your resume looks good, and any church would hire you. But Jesus said, I am telling you, without me you can do nothing. Which one are you going to settle with? A resume? Or Jesus. Now what's the key to maintaining a living communion? What's the key to staying connected? Now there's several perhaps in this passage. In fact, I was talking with a pastor friend. He said, I preached 15 messages out of John 15. And so I'm not smart enough to do that. And so I'm going to get right to the point. But there's a lot here. There's, you could preach several messages out of every verse. But let me just say for, the, for where I'm landing or where God's rattling my cage right now, the key. Go back to verse number one. I am the vine, true vine that is, and my father's the husband. And notice verse two. 
Every branch in me that beareth not fruit, he taketh away. And every branch that beareth fruit, he purgeth it, that it may bring forth more fruit. Now ye are clean through the word which I have spoken unto you. What is the key to abiding, getting clean? Clean. What did Jesus do when he started off this last night? John chapter 13, he washed the disciples' feet. It wasn't just a customary act so that they can get to business. He was teaching them, you cannot have fellowship until you are clean. In fact, Peter said, no, no, uh, that's not going to happen. Not, 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 not me, Lord, you're not going to do that. And Jesus said, if I don't do this, you don't have any part with me. Peter said, well, not my feet, then all of me. And Jesus said, no, you're already saved. You don't need to be washed all over, but you do need to get your feet clean. You know that the disciples walking with Jesus could get their feet dirty? Do you know that while trying to serve Jesus, be in church, people can get their feelings hurt and they can get critical and grumpy? You know that coming to church, people can have division and schism and pride. And Jesus says, you need to get clean. He says in John 15, now, just a little bit ago in John 13, you got clean. He says you're clean in verse 3. The word clean is the same word in verse 2 that he that's used as purgeth it. Clean in verse 3 is from the root of the word translated purgeth it in verse 2. And in other words, he's saying that this is the key. This is where revival begins. This is what, what, what we know so often as a work of God. This is what happened when Brother Vaughn was here. We knew it to be a cleansing revival. You listening? This is what happens many times when a revivalist comes in in a revival meeting and people are responding and they feel, oh, this is good. And they're thinking, man, this, this is so different. I feel so much better. What's happening is they're getting clean. This is what happens whenever teens go to camp. And they experience a move of God and they have a testimony to give when they come back if something happened because they were experiencing a lifting in their soul because they got clean. This is what John talks about in 1 John chapter 1 when he says the purpose of this letter in 1 John is that you and I may have fellowship with him. And he goes on to describe in verse 5 that God is light and him is no darkness at all. What is that? That means God is holy. We're not. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship us with him. Well, how is that possible that we unholy can be in holy presence with God? 1 John 1, 9, if we confess our sin, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sin and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness and we get clean. Amen. Now getting clean is what happens many times in a revival meeting is what we, we were experiencing again with the, the cleansing revival and, and, and that, that is 
that is basic in Christianity, this matter of getting clean. But here's what happens, and many Christians get derailed because they get clean, and then they go off and they try to do what God never intended for you to do. And that is to live what he's supposed to live. See, many Christians experience getting clean like the idea of getting up in the morning and getting out of bed and getting a shower and you get out of the shower and you say, Woohoo! I did it! And you go back to bed. We know in life, well, getting the shower wasn't the, probably the biggest task of the day. It was just the beginning. In the Christian life, it's been so long since many have been clean that whenever there is a cleansing moment and, and we are called to pay attention, we experience cleansing and we think, woohoo, this is good. Maybe that evangelist can stay and our pastor can go. Maybe we need to continue this. Maybe it was because we put the microphone down here. That's why it worked so well. Maybe, maybe it's because I, I, I just felt I, I had somebody that I could talk to and I was able to get my problem out. Woo! I feel clean. But I want to tell you the problem is Jesus never said get clean so you can be clean. Cleansing revival, I kept warning you, I kept trying to tell you, and I was trying to help some in, in every way possible, but say your names. It ain't going to work for you. I've paid for people, I've paid for people to go to counselors to get help, to get clean, and I've had to tell them it ain't going to work. Until you see getting clean is not for the sake of getting clean. Getting clean is so you can abide. And the Christian life will never work as long as you don't get clean and you try to live the Christian life or you get clean and you don't on purpose stay in communion, living communion with Jesus Christ on purpose. How can you tell if you're clean and abiding? Jesus was so very transparent. Jesus was constantly telling us of his need. His need for the Father, his need for the Holy Spirit. Jesus said to three, would you come pray with me? God is asking three to pray. He's agonizing. He's crying. Would you pray? Jesus was so very humble and transparent. Jesus, God, was humble. Philippians 2, he humbled himself to be like us. So he, for our good, could save us for what reason? So we can abide. You know what being clean and abiding looks like? Honest and humble. Honest and humble. I've had people who were 
thinking they're honest, coming to give me a piece of their mind. They couldn't afford to, but they did. It's not honesty, nor is it humility. Honesty would be, it's me, it's me. It's me, O Lord, standing in the need of prayer. Honesty is, search me, O God, not search me, O David, not search me, O Ingram. It's search me, O God. Jesus was humble and honest, and if Jesus knew he needed the power and ministry of the Holy Spirit and being God, how much more should we? Now, what does abide practically look like? Well, to understand abide, we've got to go back to understand where the word abide comes from, where the concept of abide comes from. It comes from faith. Faith. Without faith, it's impossible to please him. Why? Because faith is saying, I can't do it, but God can. And it depends upon him. You can't be saved apart from exercising faith. What must I do to be saved? Nothing. You can do nothing to be saved, but you can make a decision to faith him. Depend. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. Paul says after you get saved, Colossians 2, 6, as you therefore receive Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk ye in him. How do you walk in him? The same way you got saved. How does a person get saved? By putting their faith and trust and dependence upon Jesus. So how do we walk in him from day to day? How do you make decisions day to day? How do you live day to day, moment by moment, when it comes to your finances, when it comes to your health, when it comes to the crisis of life, when it comes to the problems and the questions and the new territory, the new waters, new chapter, grievances, burdens and sins and all kinds. What do you do? The same thing you you did to get saved? How did you get saved? You put your dependence upon the Savior. What do I do moment by moment, step by step? Depend upon Him. I can't, but you can. Depend upon Him. That's what Jesus did. He didn't do anything apart from the power of the Holy Spirit. How much more then should we? He's telling these disciples who were saved and educated and experienced, who would later be indwelt by the Spirit, but still needed the power of the Holy Spirit. How did he say that all that could happen? By them abiding, staying in a living communion with him. Oh, you know what I need? I need, I need something more for our kids. You know what your kids need? They need for you to stay in living communion with Jesus. Amen. Oh, what I need is I need to get married. No, you need to stay in living communion with the one whose business is to make sure that you find God's will for your life. Oh, I need to have a place where I can exercise my gifts. No, you need to stay in living communion with Jesus Christ. That's what Jesus said. Because without him, you will not do anything that pleases him and is of eternal, earthly, life-giving, eternal, life-changing value and power. You can't. Jesus said you can. And you won't be the first exception. So what does abide look like? Faith means to depend. So what is abide? Well, just keep on depending. Just keep depending. Well, I blew it. I messed up. Get clean. Not cleaner. Just get clean. When a lost person hears that Jesus saves, what must I do to be saved? Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. Not saved-er. You just get saved. 
You ever hear somebody say, oh, they got gloriously saved. Well, they only got saved one way. <laughs> it's all glorious. And whether it was a kid at neighborhood Bible time or whether it's a 90-year-old on their deathbed, salvation, it's all a miracle. The greatest of all miracles is when he saved me. So what do I do after I get clean? Abide. Just depend upon him. Yes, I just get confused. But he's not. Just get to him. Just tell him I'm confused about it. Get clean. How do I get clean? Get honest with him. Agree with him. Don't argue with him. Don't justify. Lord, what I said was true. <laughs> and I've said that one many times and he's not bought into it once. I remember in a prayer meeting one time, we were in, in a revival meeting. It was a prayer meeting before the service and it was at a Christian school revival. And, and I was praying there and we had our team with us and God was rattling my cage about an incident many years before when I was a youth pastor where I felt like I took the right stand and it was right in, in what I, I felt like I did. But the Lord really dealt with me that I didn't do it in the right way. And years had passed. And we're getting ready to go into a service and I slipped out and I attempted to call the pastor I hadn't spoken to in, in I don't know, 10, 12 years. And I got a hold of him, the first ring. I told him, I said, God's been dealing with me. I wanted to apologize for an incident many years before in which I took a stand in the wrong way. And I was sorry. I was wrong. Would you forgive me? i tell you, we went back in. We had a service that day. We saw 11 young people get saved. Amen. Those 11 young people don't know it, but they got saved because the preacher got right with God. Amen. I didn't get cleaner. I just, another day, got clean. And when I got clean, then I was prepared to abide. And Jesus said, unless you do that, you're not going to do anything. Do you know that a quadriplegic who can't do much physically can still get clean and can still abide? And one who cannot move physically can accomplish more in the eyes of Jesus by abiding than the greatest preacher, the greatest musician, the greatest church member who does what they do without abiding. Let's not be fooled tonight. We're not abiding if we're not clean. Let's not be fooled tonight that getting clean is the answer. Jesus is the answer. Getting clean just allows me to live in communion, staying connected with Him. The simplicity of the Christian life to me is when Jesus says, abide in me. Let's stand together, please.